I'm the Gypsy, and you're not. And this is the Rubber Biscuit Road Show, presented by Artist Alley Studio, featuring the artisan, handcrafted, and branded creations of the Gypsy and Mad Hatter at www.artistalleystudio.com. And now, on with the show. Episode 4 of the Rubber Biscuit Road Show. I am your host, The Gypsy. If you have been listening to our podcast, you know that I am presenting my novel, Never Say Never, An Epic Journey, Volume 1. It is the story of my mother, Shirley Elizabeth Hummel, who suffered from mental illness all her life. In last week's episode, we witnessed her first psychotic break from reality. In this week's episode, we're going to look at the aftermath of that psychotic break and what Shirley did and her actions that she took that ultimately changed the course of her life. So without any further ado, I present to you Chapter 4, Here's Looking at You, Kid. I took the yearbooks and the pages I had separated from the folders over to the archivist to be copied. As the copy machine whirled and clicked, I thought about my mother and what Bill Braswell had done to her. I knew the story all too well. Shirley had been admitted to the Topeka State Hospital suffering from a nervous breakdown. Today, that expression is politically incorrect. Now we would refer to it as a psychotic break from reality. Call it what you may, the fact remained that Shirley had retreated into a world of her own making. Almost catatonic, she ate, drank, relieved herself, and slept. All the basic functions, but nothing else. She did not talk and would not respond to those who spoke to her. She sat in her chair, staring out into space for almost three months. And then one day, she got a new roommate. Shirley had been in what was referred to as a side room. It contained a blanket, a mattress, and nothing else. It was a room that they put patients in that there was a concern of a possible suicide attempt. With no attempt on Shirley's part within 90 days, then it felt as if it was safe to move her into a shared room. Shirley's new roommate was a lady a few years older than her who had also had a psychotic break with reality. For three days, Shirley laid on her bunk listening to her roommate mutter over and over again, See you later, alligator. After a while, crocodile. On day four, Shirley got up from her bunk and approached the muttering woman who was rocking back and forth in a chair by the window. Shirley stood by the woman's chair, watching her rock back and forth, muttering her endless litany of, See you later, alligator. After a while, crocodile. Suddenly, Shirley exploded. Grabbing the woman by the hair on both sides of her head, she swiftly pulled the woman nose to nose with her. Shut the fuck up! Shirley screamed into the woman's face, Just please shut the fuck up! Shirley released the startled woman who had started screaming from the unwelcome contact. When the aides came running into the room, they found Shirley sitting in the middle of the room, sobbing uncontrollably. Shirley had not cried since her billy had shattered her fragile world, and now with the opening of her floodgates, the healing could finally begin. As the aides led Shirley out of the room, she heard her soon-to-be former roommate say, See you later, alligator. 
Before she could finish, Shirley finished the chant for her. After a while, Crocodile. Forty-five days later, Shirley left the hospital. While she had been committed, Pearl Nosker had quickly and quietly handled her annulment. Shirley did not return to school. She was afraid of becoming a laughing stock among her peers. She did not want to be the subject of whispered words behind hands and questioning stares. Checking with the school, she discovered that she had almost all of her credits to graduate. Shirley made arrangements to take a couple of night classes, and in just a couple of weeks, she was taking her final exams. She passed and received her diploma. She would not have to go back to the place that she knew would be poison to her fractured heart and soul. I sat down at the library's computer. I was keeping my fingers crossed that today would finally be the day that I accomplished what I had been trying to do for the last three weeks. Get my book, Logging Kansas, Musings from the Land of Oz, uploaded to the publisher. I had been faced with a dilemma, slow internet connection. I lived way out in the middle of the west central panhandle plains of Texas. In order for me to have an internet connection, I had to use a satellite system. Dial-up is probably quicker than our connection was and more reliable. In short, the upload speed was slower than a snail on ice and could not get my book uploaded to the publisher. After my third failed attempt at uploading the book, my wife Debbie suggests I go over to the Clyde, Texas Library and upload it as they had a faster internet connection. I took her advice and spent every weekday afternoon at the Clyde Library for the two weeks before I had set out on my journey and still could not get the file uploaded. The internet connection was faster but not fast enough. Now you may say to yourself, what can be so hard is it's just a simple file upload, right? Wrong. The problem was that it was a very large file due to the photographs the book contains. The other problem was that any time I uploaded the file, the automated system converted the Word file to PDF for review. The converted file would always need reformatting and a re-upload of the reformatted file. Though the Clyde Library's internet connection was far faster than my home connection, the fact remained that it still wasn't fast enough. It would take 45 minutes to upload the file, 10 minutes to review, 5 minutes to reformat a section, and then another 45 minutes to upload again for a review. The process was taking way too long and I was getting frustrated as I sat down at the Topeka Library's computer. I had a silent prayer that it was faster than the Clyde Library's computer. I signed into the publisher's website, inserted my thumb drive, and set the file to upload, then sat back in the chair to wait. Shirley sat back in the chair to wait on her dad. Oscar was retired and no longer worked full-time, but he would go into the office once or twice a week and take the overflow patients just for something to do. The office receptionist told Shirley that her dad was in the middle of a tooth extraction when she entered the office. Shirley smiled and told the receptionist she would wait. As Shirley sat down, she caught a sideways glance levied at her by the receptionist. Oscar finished with his patient and followed her out of the exam room, leaning on his cane. He was hurting. Shirley could tell, and it worried her. A few years back, her dad had accidentally stepped on her kitten as he descended the back stairway. Oscar fell and broke his back. The injury coupled with his club foot and the lasting effects of his radiation poisoning made it hard for him to get around, and at times, like today, caused him a great deal of pain. Beth! For that was what Oscar called his little girl. What are you doing here? It always made Shirley happy inside when her daddy called her Beth. Her middle name was Elizabeth, and Oscar was the only one in the entire world who called her Beth. She was very much a daddy's girl, and when her daddy said Beth, it made her feel special and loved. Shirley ignored his question and asked her own. Daddy, why do you keep working? Shouldn't you completely retire? Beth, you know that if I stop, I would die. Oscar was a man of few words and would cut to the chase in any conversation. 
His bluntness made Shirley shrink inside. She could not imagine a world without her daddy in it. You didn't answer my question. What are you doing here? I just thought I'd ride home with you today, Shirley said with a lot of sugar dripping from her mouth. Right now, the truth. Why are you here? It wasn't that Oscar didn't like Shirley stopping by the office to see him. He just knew his daughter, and after what she had just been through, if she was here, there was something on her mind. They walked down to the hallway, and Oscar pushed the brass button on the elevator panel. They could hear the creaking of the antiquated box as the cables brought it up to their floor. The two elevators that served the upper floors of the Mills building were beyond outdated, especially when you compared them with the sleek new green models in Pelletier's main store, which took up the first four floors of the marble and glass of this impressive structure at the corner of 9th and Kansas Avenue. As the box stopped on their floor, they could see the elevator operator slide back the gate inside and then pull the big brass door back out of the way. As Oscar and Shirley entered the cab, Oscar greeted the operator. How are you this afternoon, Mrs. Wilson? The elevator operator smiled. I'm fine as peaches, Dr. Hummel, and how is Shirley today? She had addressed Oscar as if Shirley was not standing there. I am fine, Shirley said, making no effort to mask the annoyance in her voice. The elevator operator's disregard for her steeled her resolve in what she knew she had to do. Oscar and Shirley rode down to the lobby in silence. As they stepped out into the fresh spring air of the Topeka afternoon, Shirley swallowed hard and blurted out, Daddy, I'm leaving. Oscar looked straight ahead, saying nothing. Shirley tried to follow his gaze. All she saw was the shoe repair shop across 8th Street. Daddy, did you hear me? I'm leaving. I'm leaving Topeka. Oscar started walking towards the bus stop, leaning on his cane. As they stopped at the curb to wait for the bus that would take them within a block of their home, Oscar said, Why? He actually knew why, but he needed Shirley to say it and not back away from it, as she had always backed away from all things in her life. I need a new start, Daddy. Shirley drew in a deep breath. Everyone knows. Everyone talks. Everyone whispers. She paused. Everyone looks at me. Oscar looked down at his daughter. So running away will solve your problems. Shirley looked down at the street, trying to find the right words to say, but before she could speak, Oscar said, Running away doesn't solve a problem, but getting away helps memories to grow fuzzy. He put his hand on her shoulder. Out of sight, out of mind. The bus pulled up, smelling of diesel and rubber. They boarded, Oscar depositing two tokens that clinked, clinked in the catcher. They rode the six blocks to their stop in silence. As they disembarked, Oscar asked, Have you told your mother? Shirley's silence spoke volumes. Of course you haven't. She would say you are being foolish. Are you being foolish, Beth? Shirley looked down at the sidewalk as they walked. I'm scared, Daddy. I don't know what I am. I don't even know who I am. Oscar nodded, understanding. None of us know who we are. We just are. What will you do for money? Shirley knew that this question was coming and had been dreading it. She had thought this out, and now was the moment that would either help her to see her plan through to leave and travel, or have it all crash around her the way she felt everything crashed around her in her short life. I thought maybe I could have my college fund. Oscar stopped. You know, Daddy, she said with trepidation in her voice, the $1,200 you put back for me? I will never go to college, and it would help me get a new start. Oscar started walking again and stated a flat, No! Shirley felt crushed. Her daddy had just taken away her second chance. But before she could voice her protest, Oscar said, You can have $1,000 of it. Leave $200 in there in case you want to go to trade school someday. 
Oscar doubted that his daughter would ever go to any kind of school ever again, but the $200 left in her college fund at least gave a small hope that she would. Shirley felt a joy inside she had not felt in a long time. Her daddy had just made it possible for her to get away from this place that used to feel like home but now felt like a circus sideshow with her, the center ring attraction, as the show-stopping freak. Hurry, 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 come see Shirley, the insane screaming girl. She walks, she talks, and she crawls on her belly like a reptile. Hurry, 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 for one thin dime you can see the wonder of the ages. The girl foolish enough to fall in love and marry a married man. You won't want to miss this queen of the freaks. They stopped in front of their home, looking up at the majestic structure. I guess I'll need to talk to Mom now. Oscar put his arm around his daughter. Let me deal with your mom. You need to go pack. I held my breath. How many times during the past few weeks had I been down to the final few pages of my book during the review process, only to find that the formatting had suddenly gone awry? It was more than I could count. Page 214, good. 215, good. 216, good. 217, good. 218, good. 219, good. Please, Lord, just one more page. Just one more. Page 220. And finally, my book, Blogging Kansas, Musings from the Land of Oz, can be submitted to the publisher for review. I sat back and let a small wave of accomplishment wash over me. This was the next to the last step in a process that had started almost three months previous. Now I will have to wait 48 hours while the publisher reviews my manuscript. If the publisher finds everything to be in order, then I am given an electronic proof of the book. If I find the proof to be in order, then I can submit it for publication. However, if the publisher finds that the manuscript did not meet their guidelines, or if I did not like the proof of my book, then the whole process would start over. I exited the browser and stepped away from the Topeka Library's computer. Their super-fast internet server had allowed me to get my task done, and I would return 48 hours from now to finalize that task. As I walked towards the exit, I stopped in the doorway of the children's section. Looking out over the children reading, browsing books, and using the computers made me smile. Young minds absorbing new thoughts, new ideas, and new knowledge. I have been an avid reader my entire life, and I never spent much time in the children's section of the library when I was growing up. Why should I? I had always been an advanced reader. I read When in the Willows when I was six years old, followed by The Borrowers, and by the time I celebrate my seventh birthday, I had finished every book in the Oz series. My mother was an avid reader also, and nurtured my interest in reading. I wondered how many of the books in this library my mother had touched. She would check out six books at a time and have them back within the week, read and absorbed. Stories of real people in true life situations would hold her attention. The Warren Report was her prized treasure. Unsolved mysteries were food for her soul. I remember one book, This Baffling World, which my mother loved so much she actually purchased a copy of it to read over and over again. But the books that she devoured were romance novels. There was not one romance novel published before 2001 that she had not read. In 2001, my mother's eyesight was failing, and she refused to have her prescription eyeglasses updated. She had her last eye exam in 1988, and in her mind, that was enough. Another sign of her declining mental state. No amount of insistence by me could persuade her to have her eyes examined for new glasses, and this saddened me, because I knew it would not be long before she would never be able to do her favorite thing in the world, curl up in her bed with a good book and find refuge for a while, between the pages from this world that had caused her so much pain. 
I maneuvered my big V-twin into the parking space in front of Bob Pellow's Books and Collectibles. I wanted to take the opportunity while I was in Topeka to meet Brandon and Marty Rison, the proprietors of the store. I had come to know them from the Facebook group Topeka History Geeks, and we had formed an ongoing online friendship. I had a desire to cement that friendship with a face-to-face -face meeting and a handshake, but before that could happen, I would need to get changed for the parking meter. I hurried across the street to the Capital City Bank to get changed for the meter. The two-door-style brick building at 120 Southwest 6th Street occupies the northeast corner at 6th and Jackson and has not always been a bank. It once served as an escape portal to lands far removed from Topeka, Kansas. Shirley hurried across the street to the Greyhound Bus Terminal. The two-door-style brick building at 120 South 6th Street had occupied the northeast corner of 6th and Jackson as long as Shirley could remember. She saw a bus sitting in the lane next to the building. Its marquee proclaimed Memphis. She was sure that was her bus. She rushed up to the ticket counter breathless. Is, th is that the bus too? She gulped in air. Florida? The ticket master scrunched up his nose and scratched his brow under his green visor. Nope, that's the bus to Memphis. Shirley swallowed. I mean, is that the connecting bus? He held out his hand. Let me see your ticket. Shirley had purchased her ticket the week before when her dad had withdrawn the $1,000 from her college fund. He had refused to give her any of the money at that time. Shirley, you will go to the bus station and get your ticket. I will give you the remainder the day you leave, her father had said, and she knew he was right to do it that way, to keep her from blowing her money. They had gone down to the terminal, the same ticket master she now stood before and who was studying her ticket the way a scientist studies bacteria that wiggle on a glass slide beneath a microscope had said, Where to? Shirley knew where to. Miami, Florida. She had always had a fascination for the Sunshine State and she felt like her future might lie in that direction. Nah, the ticket master said, handing her back the ticket. You want the little rock bus. He looked at the clock on the wall behind him, then reached into his vest pocket and pulled out an old tarnished pocket watch. Winding it as he talked, he said, That bus will be here about an hour from now. You're welcome to wait. Shirley looked at him slightly amused and resisted the urge to shoot back with, Where else would I wait? Instead, she said, Thank you, and headed for the gift shop. As Shirley crossed the terminal, she could feel the eyes of the men hungrily eyeing her as if she was a medium-rare steak hot off the grill, ready to be devoured. During her stay at the state hospital, Shirley had blossomed. Her long, raven black hair, big brown cow eyes, ample breast, and rounded hips brought Shirley attention wherever she went. She wasn't that sure that she liked all the unsolicited attention, but then again, she wasn't that sure that she disliked it. Shirley looked over the magazines in the gift shop. She was angry with herself. She had purchased numerous paperback books to keep her occupied on what she knew would be a very long trip and a very boring ride and had left them all on her dresser unpacked. She had meant to pack them into one of the two bags she was taking with her, but in her excitement to leave had completely forgotten about them. So now she found herself having to spend her precious funds on new reading material. She couldn't find any magazine that held her attention and was just getting ready to ask the clerk if there were any paperbacks when she saw the carousel rack full of romance novels. She had always liked stories about things that had actually happened, historical novels, and had never given a thought to romance novels. She thought that this style of pulp fiction was beneath her, yet she browsed and turned the carousel. She started finding titles she found intriguing. She picked three, Unholy Woman, Bright Path to Adventure, 
and the good and the bad. She figured these books should see her through a few miles, but then she saw an old paperback stuck in between the romance novels. A Ripley's Believe It or Not paperback novel. She snagged that one also, and she was set for her trip. Shirley stared out the window of the scenic cruiser bus, watching the limestone hills roll by. She was seen in the upper section of the split-level bus with the unfinished, unholy woman in her lap. She didn't know what was ahead, but she knew what was behind. As the rice fields of Arkansas disappeared into the darkness and the bus skimmed the edge of Texas, Shirley slept and dreamed of sun-filled days and turquoise seas. Louisiana would always be the memories of Ripley's oddities and the smell of the bus's chemical toilet. Every time the bus hit a bump in the constantly bumpy road, the bus would be perfumed with the pungent odor of waste and blue water. Shirley looked up from her book, The Good and the Bad, to watch the tall pines of Mississippi roll by. She thought of her mom and dad and how neither of them had come to see her off at the bus terminal. Oscar had been having a bad day and hurting pretty badly. Pearl, however, was just angry, and that is why she hadn't shown. Shirley's mother did not agree with this plan and refused to support it, calling it this foolishness. By the time the Cine Cruiser passed into Alabama, Shirley was ready to scream. It seemed to her like this bus would never get to where it was going, and she was having a hard time concentrating on her book. Shirley would read a few pages and look out the window, then read a few pages more. Won't this bus ever get to Florida? There had been a lot of stops on this ride, and Atlanta, Georgia was just one more. Shirley did not like Atlanta, and she wished that they would call for the bus to board. The bus station was full of colored people, and colored people made her nervous. It wasn't that she didn't like Negroes, she just didn't understand them, and that ignorance of who they were made her nervous. She never had seen so many colors in her life, and she wondered why they all seemed to hang around the bus station. When the call to board came, Shirley was the first person back on the bus. She found her seat and watched as the Negroes headed to the back of the bus where they belonged. As the bus passed into Florida, Shirley felt a surge of excitement course through her. She was in Florida, a place of promise and hope, a place where she could begin a new life and move ahead away from the pain, away from the memories, away from herself. As Shirley turned the last page of her romance novel, Bright Path to Adventure, the bus approached the sign she had been longing to see for over 1,800 miles. Welcome to Miami, Florida, population 249,276. Shirley closed the book on her old life and began the story of her new life. Well, that concludes this episode of the Rubber Biscuit Road Show and our presentation of Never Say Never, An Epic Journey, Volume 1. Be sure to tune in next week when we go into Chapter 5 and we find out that nobody puts baby in a corner. Until then, may God bless and keep you and yours. Later, Gators. Bye-bye now. Visit the Rubber Biscuit Roadshow online at www.rubberbiscuit.com. That's www.r-u-b-b-e-r-b-i-s-k-i-t.com. The Rubber Biscuit Roadshow is produced by Tatman Productions, LLC. All parts of this program are copyrighted, all rights reserved. No parts may be published, reproduced, or used without the written express permission of Tatman Productions, LLC.